This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. This is how I pull teeth out of my kids. See one of these? Maybe you have one of these. You gonna have one of these? This is a one-hit wonder as far as tools go. It's designed to do one thing, and that's to uproot dandelions. You know, dandelions have really long tap roots, right? I mean, they can be really, you grab it and you snap it right off, and the root's still there, and sure, and turn around two hours later, there's a whole other dandelion. Um, but yeah, this is, so this is designed to go over the dandelion, go all the way down to the tap root, and then as you lean it back, it grabs a hold of that tap, and then it pulls the whole thing out. One-hit wonder, that's all it does. I and mean, you could use it for a lot of other fun things, motivating chores. Um, but that's it. That's about all. It's a one-hit wonder. My dad uh, had this garage sale habit where he would kind of maybe pick up these one-hit wonders. An example, he came home from a garage sale once with what looked like a golfing iron from a horror movie. Uh, yeah, it's about the length of a, of a nine iron, a long oak handle. On the end was this long, double-sided, bladed head. And uh, it, it was a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bushwhacker. It's a weed whacker. You swing it back and forth. And Dad says, here, this is the guy you're going to cut the grass from now on. Um, and then, but you could use it for a lot of other fun things. I used it as a rifle. I used it as a club. I used it to chase my brothers and my sisters. All of that, not good. It violated the purpose for what the tool was intended. The tool was intended to do one thing, and that's to cut the grass. That was its purpose. That thing's purpose is to pull up a dandelion. The bushwhacker was designed to to mow down the shrubs. What's your purpose? What is humanity's purpose? I think maybe we've kind of lost sight of that one over the years. What is humanity's purpose? Is it to be happy? Is our purpose to find happiness? Is our purpose to get money? Is that our purpose? Well, some of us live that way, as if that's the chief end of all things. It's been my experience that when you use something apart from its purpose, people normally get hurt. Things end up breaking. If you pursue a life that violates your purpose, it will lead to brokenness and stress and pain. But how do we, how do we get to the heart of our purpose? Maybe I can illustrate it this way. If we were to have a traditional wedding service here, a traditional Western civilization, Western civilization wedding service, would you be able to point out the bride without me telling you who it was? You'd be able to do that, right? Like, you don't need me to say, that one's the bride. You would know because you're familiar with the ceremony of how the procession works. You don't need exposition to know which one the bride is. Because, I mean, the whole thing starts out with this little girl walking down, sprinkling posies all over the place. Well, is that one the bride? No. Well, what about the girl after that and the girl after that and the girl after that? Is that what you would know? It's not the bride. Not the bride. You would know which one the bride is. Right? I mean, if the minister, if he's worth anything, salt, I mean, let's all stand. You know which one the bride is because of what she has on. 
and where she is in the procession. She comes last. And everything else is a buildup to that one moment in the ceremony. Cueing us in, she is going to marry him. I know which one the bride is. Because you're familiar with the ceremony. What does that have to do with purpose? The beginning part of Genesis is all about proclaiming and declaring humanity's purpose. It is written and presented as a poetic description of a temple service. How you inaugurate a temple, christen a temple. If you grew up in the old times, in the Bible times, and you're reading through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you know about the message. You know what's going on. Because, oh yeah, this is how you build a temple. This is how you christen a temple. First you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. And the last thing that you do is you move the image into the center that declares and points to everyone the God in whom this temple is. Now in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it's called a garden. God calls it a garden. But out of the chaos, God places a garden. He builds a temple. And day one, it's this and this and this and this. He's all creating this beautiful space, this little piece of heaven on earth. And what's the last thing that he does? The last thing, let us make man in our image. The last thing he does is he puts his image in the temple. The image that declares and directs and funnels worship, not to itself, but to the God to whom this temple belongs. That is our purpose. That is why we're here. Humanity's purpose is to funnel and direct praise back. Maybe we could say it this way in your notes. Let's write this down together. I'm going to call it a hallelujah mandate. A hallelujah mandate. To turn up creation's ability to vocalize God's glory. To turn up creation's ability to vocalize God's glory. Write that down in your notes. If you're watching online, would you write that down too? Let me unpack that just a little bit for you because there's a lot of words there. Hallelujah. Often that word is used to praise God, right? We sing hallelujah. How many of you have sung hallelujah before? And it's, you're saying the words hallelujah. The word literally means praise Yah. Praise Yahweh. In and of itself is not the praise of Yahweh, but the command to praise Yahweh. In the same way I can say, make your bed. The saying, make your bed, get the bed made? Nope. You wish it did though, right? You wish you did. Make the bed. Oh, like some weird thing from Fantasia or a Disney movie. And all of a sudden the bed gets made, right? Saying, make the bed, does not get the bed made. There actually has to be a response to the command. Hallelujah is the command given to worship God. Praise God for which creation, humanity, is to then respond. Our mandate as humans 
is to turn up creation's ability to vocalize God's glory, to turn up like you tend a garden. If you are someone who gardens and gardens well, and I know that some of you do and some of you don't, but those of you who are good at the gardening thing, you are always saying, how can I help these, these plants thrive? How can I help this, this grow and be as fruitful as it possibly can? I was visiting Ethan. Ethan's a good gardener. Ethan has a bee hotel in his backyard. Okay, don't you? I'm, I'm not making this up, am I? Okay, so the bees, because he has this symbiotic relationship with the bees. He has a place for the bees, and the bees go over, and there's tomatoes, boom! Okay, because he's thought through, how can I maximize this space? Those you think that you're thinking about fertilizer, you're thinking about plant placement, you're thinking about weeds, you're thinking about everything that goes together so that garden can thrive. God placed the image in the garden, he says, hey, tend the garden and go out and confront the chaos. Help everything to thrive. Vocalize, an important word. How do we praise? We vocalize. We speak it into life. Here's a, a few other passages, uh, and then we'll get to our main one today. Listen to Psalm 66. This is one through four. Psalm 66, one through four. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Verse four, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. See how it's a vocalizing? Here's another, this is an important one. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What is our sacrifice of praise? He says, it's the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. A psalm that we're going to look at in a couple weeks, Psalm 148. It, it, it says, it's, the way it's, it's beautiful the way it's described. Humanity is to stand here in the gap and to call the divine, the angelic world, and the earthly world to worship. Isn't that crazy? Call the stars. Call the moon. Call the sun. Call everything that's in the divine, in the angelic space. Call that to worship. Call all of creation down here to worship. All things are to praise his holy name. So maybe in a time when humanity seems to have lost its purpose, how we use and abuse each other, how we glorify ourselves, woe is me, how we make ecological decisions and relational decisions that turn God praise down, what if we took a month, four or five weeks together, and learn how to turn it back up again. Let's get back to our original mandate. To look at the doxology of the book of Psalms. A doxology in Jewish worship was a phrase or a prayer that was used in transition between elements. Something that helped you move from one place to another. Um, we use it often as a very specific, to refer to a very specific phrase, a very specific song. We just sang it. How many of you grew up in a church where you sang the doxology? Right? I mean, some of you, yeah. The offering would come down. Let's all stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Adam and I were joking because that money won't work if you don't put the doxology over it, right? You got to sing the doxology if that money's going to count. It's often to put at the end to punctuate a point of praise. 
In the Psalter, if you look at the book of Psalms, it's five big scrolls that come together. The last five Psalms all go together as a unit. Okay? They are bookended with the same phrase, hallelujah, hallelujah. Five Psalms for the five scrolls of the book of Psalms. We're going to look at those five together and see if that helps us get back to what it means to live out our mandate. So why don't we stand together? We're going to read the first one for today, Psalm 146. We're going to read it together out loud. Would you stand with me? And Ryan's going to have the verses up there. Oftentimes when we do corporate readings or responsive times, those of us who are in a position of leadership kind of have to prime the pump a little bit, get you to do it a few times before we kind of, we, we don't have to warm this up, right? You guys are going to go right at it, right? Right at it. No messing around. We don't, we don't need to do it again. We're going to do it right, right? Yeah? Okay, here we go. Ready? All together. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Thank you. Please be seated. You see how it, it was bookended with that same phrase? Praise the Lord. Pray the, praise Yah. Praise Yahweh. I want you to see three things in this as we unpack this 146 together this morning. In praise, in your notes, write this down. In praise, we shine a light on God's faithfulness. We shine a light on God's faithfulness. Give you a chance to write that down. Last week we introduced the idea of glory. Do you remember that? Just kind of a pre-intro, a prequel to what we were going to start today. And you guys remember, what's the unique way that we as his followers give God glory? Remember what it is? How, how do we give him glory? It's through our I feel this big right now. I talked about it for 49 minutes. Ah, who said it? Essence, yes, that's right, that's right. Our unity gives God glory. Yeah, and you remember, yeah, I understand. It's okay. I needed that just to knock me down a little bit. That's good. 
It's good. That's good. Uh, if you didn't have a chance to be, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com and you can listen to that. But glory has this idea of light. To glorify something means to shine a light upon it, to, to bring focus to it. When I say I'm praising something, I'm shining a light there. So shine a light on what? what? What does this poet want to shine a light upon? What does he want to feature and focus on? Well, many times psalms have an architecture about them. They have an actual physical structure that helps key you into what the poet says is most important. And, and this psalm is exactly the same way. In Western writing, where you put the most important thing where in the paragraph? The topic sentence, right? Which is where? It's a, Hey, this is the most important thing. Everything else follows it. A lot of times in Hebrew poetry, they build towards the center. So if we look right at the center of the psalm, will this key us into what's most important, what he wants to shine a light upon? Let me read verses five through seven. This is the heart of the psalm. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, this is the very center, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. So everything about this psalm has to do with why God is faithful and how I can trust in the faithfulness of God, his faithfulness forever. It's such an important biblical term, right? It means certainty. The image behind it is the, the firm, the strong arms of a parent that are picking up an infant helpless child. That's what, that's what faith, faithfulness means. His arms are strong and capable. I can trust his arms as he wraps them around me. When I'm in God's arms, I am safe. I am secure. I do not need to worry. In worship, this term often comes towards, uh, in biblical prayers towards the end to say, trust in God. Put your faith in him. He is faithful forever. Okay, so then he opens up that idea with two main points. He says, first, he says, Yahweh brings help. Let's write that down. Yah brings help. Just a shortened version of Yahweh, how it's used in this psalm. He brings help. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. And listen to listen seven through nine. Maybe you probably heard it as we were reading it. It sounds very repetitive. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So much of the book of Psalms got put together during the exile. Okay, the exile is that dark period where Israel and Judah, the nation, split. Uh, Israel got sent off to Syria. Judah got, went off to Babylon. And so they're in this place of exile, of darkness, of chains. They're in this place where they're not in their homeland. They're not in the place of promise. They're not at the temple. They're not underneath the care of the good king. They're on their own. They live in slavery. They live in bondage because of their own unfaithfulness. And so in the middle of all that, scribes got together and they kind of gave the book of Psalms its structure that you see right here. 
And so they take, they took five and they put them in the end and they kind of start this whole sequence with this idea, reminding us, hey, I know what you're going through. Don't forget, God cares for the oppressed. God feeds the hungry. God looks after. He, he lifts up the weary. He loves the righteous. He watches over those of us who are traveling. He holds up those who feel like they have no support. He deals with the wicked in your midst. So one of the things that the psalmist does, the poet does, is he takes a light and he shines it down upon how God helps. We shine a light upon the helpfulness of God when we praise. God is our helper. But he goes on, it's not just help. If you look back at verse 5, whose hope is in, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Let's write that down. Yah brings hope. Yahweh brings hope. The Lord will reign, it says in verse 10, to all generations. What is hope? Well, hope is future help. These are exiled people. These are wandering people. They need all the helps that Yahweh can bring. They need hope to know that help is coming. This is an age of brokenness and overnight delivery. Right? You got Amazon Prime. You can get it tomorrow. You can get it this afternoon if you want to pay for it. I don't know about this magic warehouse that Amazon has, but man, it has to be legit. But that has calibrated us to think that that's the way God works. All I got to do is push the button and God will bring it to me now. Our faith doesn't work that way. Our faith is a hope-filled faith. A trusting faith. I wait upon the Lord. God is doing something. God will do something. Think about the cross. Think of the anguish of the waiting for the disciples. Like he didn't die and then all of a sudden come back. Whew, glad that's over. Get me down. No. He was dead. And he was in the tomb. And it was dark. And they had to wait. And after he rose, he left again. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. Hope is a very real part of our faith. Of trusting in and waiting for. Faith plants the seed and hope comes back again and waters it. And comes back again and waters it. And comes back again and waters it. If you hang out with me long enough, you'll hear me say this. You got to play the long game with people. You got to play the long game in your faith. God's doing something. You need to hope. You need to wait. When you don't wait and you take things into your own hands, bad things happen every time. Every time. Keep reading through the book of Genesis and what happens when humans don't wait for God's timing. Abraham, great example. Father of the faith. God comes to Abraham. Hey, I'm going to give you a child. I know you're old. You're going to have a child. That child's going to be a child of promise. 
Abram has to wait. No child, no child, no child, no child. Someone has an idea. You know what we could do? Abe, you could sexually assault and rape my slave and you could have a child through her. That'll work out real well. 4,000 years later, we're still living with the ripples of that decision because Abe didn't wait. King Saul was told by the prophet, wait till I get there. I'll make the sacrifice. I'll praise God. Prophet told to Samuel, you wait. It's your job to wait. My job to make the sacrifice. King Saul's standing around, lots of political, cultural influences, a lot of political pressure. So Saul makes the sacrifice. Saul, Solomon, excuse me, Samuel shows up. Lots of S's. Samuel shows up. What did you do? Well, you know, I kind of thought that maybe I should, and then the people should, and the kingdom was literally torn away from Saul's hands because he did not wait. He did not wait. So the psalmist here keeps bringing us back to this point. Part of our faith is waiting. It's having hope. So in the same way, there's a light that shines help. When we praise, we shine a light of hope. I know those of you are like, you know, freaking out about the red light, like Paul screwed up again. You know, there's help and there's hope. These things coming together when we praise. But what's the result when I did that? When I did that, what did you do? Unconsciously, subconsciously, what did your eyes do? It went there, right? Because here's something else that happens when we praise. Let's write this down in our notes. We invite others to faithfulness. When we praise, when we sing, we invite others to faithfulness. Key word at the beginning of verse 5. Blessed. Blessed is the person who helps in, whose hope is. It's an invitation to join. Hey, let's worship Yahweh. Let's be faithful to Yahweh. When we sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, you heavenly hosts. Praise Father and Son and Holy Ghost. We are participating in the restoration of, of creation by inviting one another to be faithful to God. We are turning up the volume and vocalizing what God does. So who are the worship leaders then in this church? I mean, Doug, who couldn't be here this morning, um, he's homesick, and so you have to put up with me filling in. Is, is Doug the worship leader? Is Sarah? Is Sarah the worship leader? When she comes up, you'll see her next week. Jason, week three. Is Jason the worship leader? Me on week four. Am I the worship leader? Is it, is it the band and the instruments? Are, are they the worship leaders? Are they the lead worshipers? Who are the worship leaders? Humanity in general, but all the redeemed, let them say so. All of us are called to participate in the restoration through our praise. Singing one another to focus upon the Lord. Let me ask you a question. 
Who has ever been put back together in the context of corporate praise? Who has experienced the grace of God ministering to you and putting you back together again in the context of praise? Yeah. Yeah. As the saints sing, as the redeemed sings, God tends the garden and puts us back together again. But a third thing happens in praise. Write this down. We confront false idols and mixed messages. We confront false idols and mixed messages. I live in Troy. Office is here in this building. Each morning I drive from Troy to Piqua. Go out Farrington, turn on Farrington, I come down Washington, I come into Piqua, okay? Turn at the first light over there by Pittsburgh Park. I think it's turning on to south, right? Turn left. I think it's south. That's south. That's south, right here? That's, that's south, okay? Hot dog stands over here. There's a garage on the right side. I drive by it every morning. I turn left at the light to go along Pittsburgh, and there's a garage right there. As I make the turn, I saw it. I can't remember the last time I saw one. It was a blaze orange 69 Dodge Charger. <laughs> With the O1 on the side, the American Racing Vector wheels, flag on the top. It was a generally. I almost wrecked the car. <laughs> this, this is the car of my childhood. This is uh, for Friday night. I would watch the Dukes of Hazard. I used to practice sliding across the hood of my parents' station wagon. Because <laughs> I was Bo Duke. Man, I had the tight jeans too, man. I mean, it was, it was, I would take my Schwinn bike and I would jump everything. I would build a ramp and I would jump and I would jump. I would bust and I would break and I would bruise my mom right now. His washing, she's like, I know, I know, I know, I know. Man, because that was my car. That's all I wanted. And my Schwinn, it was a 69. I would go. And here I, I turn. There it is. My heart just went nuts. Crazy. The whole, the three minutes of driving past, and I slowed down, man. I was like, <laughs> the guy who owns it sitting on the hood, he's like, I know. <laughs> the whole way to the building, my heart did this. The whole way to the building where I was going to write a message on false idols. <laughs> right? We're created to conduct praise. That's what we're designed to do. We're built to do that. Our hearts are factories of worship. 
That's the default mode. The default mode of our heart is to conduct and create worship. That means a sinful, corrupt heart, a broken, twisted heart. The default mode is false worship. We worship the wrong thing. We are an idol factory. I-D-O. We even have shows about idols and celebrating idols. So if you look at verse 3 to 4, it's put not your trust in princes, earthly leaders, earthly sources of comfort, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. This poem is a contrast. Don't look to there for comfort. Do not look to that for salvation. It will fail. Look to God. What are we prone to hope in and look to? What do we shine a light on? I, I, need, I, need, I need someone to hold a whiteboard for me. Could someone hold a whiteboard for me? Just need a, come on, Jack. Just, just, all you need to do is hold it, dude. A living easel. Yep, yep. You got it? No, you're not going to spin it. You're just tossing pizza, man. Uh, I heard, uh, Trishana, what did you say? You, self? Yeah, self. That's good. I'll step back a little bit. What else? What, what are we prone to shine a light on? What are we prone to worship? Money? I heard something else. Was it others? I think someone, I heard some others. What else? I'll put mine down. I said car. Popularity. Popularity. That's good, Jay. What else? What are we prone to worship? Entertainment. Entertainment. What else? Stuff. Stuff. Beauty. I struggle with that one. No, no, yeah. What's that? Others. Yeah, yeah, we got others. Yep. Social media. Social media. Facebook. Cell phones. Yeah. Food. Ouch. Politics. Oh my goodness, yeah. Video. Oh my goodness, sport. Yep. Kids. Family. There's a lot of things that could go on that board, right? A lot of things by which we choose to shine a light. Turn away at me a little bit. Here we go. Yeah. To live our life and orient our lives in such a way that we shine a light on that. To make decisions by which we shine a light on that. To say, that's the priority. That's what's most important. How we order our attention, we, our time, our day, our finances, whatever it might be. That, that, we, I worship that. I worship that. That's what I worship. When we praise, we confront those things. That's what he's doing in this psalm. He says, do not worship that. Don't worship a, a, a mere man. Don't worship something that's temporal. Don't worship something where there is no salvation and there is no deliverance and there is no hope. When we worship, when we praise, we are confronting the false idols. In addition, we're also confronting the mixed messages. What do I mean? 
by mixed message. Okay, parents, I need you to lean in a little bit, okay? In all honesty, when I took that turn on the south and I saw the car, and if my kids had been in the car, what would I have done? Boys, check it out. Look at that. I would have slowed down. I would have, let's go. Let's get, look at that. I would have drawn their attention to that which had consumed my attention. Because they are worship factories too, right? So they are learning. This is my youngest. This is Jackson. There's Aiden. There's Aiden. They are learning what to worship based on what I worship. And if I'm shining a light on this, what are they learning? Oh, that's what I'm supposed to shine a light on. That's worthy of worship. That's worthy of praise. Wow, I never see dad freak out like that at church. Wow, he really freaked out like that on that car. That car must be, that car will save. Wow, I've never seen, boy, when dad, dad really orients his schedule and his time, dad never misses a game. Dad never misses whatever it is. That must be worthy of worship. Look how dad responds to that. He never responds that way to that. So when we praise, we confront a mixed message. When we prioritize and choose and say, this is worthy, that's not worthy. Jack, can you put that down for me? Thanks, buddy. Well, let me illustrate it with telephones. If I have two phones, imagine like the old rotary phones. Remember those ones? Right? I keep threatening my kids I'm going to get one and put that in the house, and that's the only phone in the Hickernell family. That'd be so cool. Do you remember that? Because you could only go however far the, little, the, little, the cord would take you. Yeah, I won't. But imagine we have two of them right here. Caller ID. Remember caller ID? When it first came out, you're like, for introverts, you're like, yes, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Extroverts, you didn't care. Like, hey, what's up? <laughs> this is Christopher from India. Oh, awesome. How are you? <laughs> you got two phones. They ring at the exact same time. The one that I answer, the one that I pick up, communicates what? Which one's the most important? Right? When they ring at the same time, and this is the one I pick up, that's the one that's the most important. It don't matter if I say that's the most important one. If my wife calls and work calls and I keep picking up work, which one's most important? 
But to say this and do this creates a mixed message. If I say to my kids or I say to my neighbors, I love Jesus, but all they see around me is Buckeye stuff, that's a mixed message. So let me give us some challenges going forward as we recalibrate to worship. We must get back to prioritizing corporate praise. It is our tradition here at House on the Rock to gather for corporate worship on Sunday mornings. The church has been doing it that way for a, few, for a couple thousand years. Some of you have to work on Sunday mornings, right? Your employer says you have to, you have to work. You have to do that. I'm not talking to you. In many ways, you have to embody the same tension that the early church did because in the early church, many of them were slaved, forsaken, and they couldn't gather for worship until later in the evening, late at night. That's the only time they could gather together to praise. There was no Sunday day of the Lord. But here in America, currently, right now, this is when we gather. We need to get back to that priority. Stop calling this church. You've never gone to church. Never. Yes, I have. You have never gone to church. That's like saying, I'm going to family. You are a part of family. But when we say, I'm going to church, it's just enough bad theology to rationalize your bad decision. Because what do we do when we come here? Do we go to church? No, what do we do here? We gather to worship Jesus. That's what we do here. We gather to shine a light on his faithfulness. That's what we do here. We gather to admonish others to be faithful. We gather to set down the idols and to repent and to be restored and put. That's what we do. We don't go to church. Stop calling it that. It's enabling you to make bad choices. I don't have to go to church to be at the church. Oh my gosh. Punch you in the face. Because you're absolutely right. But you have, you have raped that theological truth to justify your own idolatry. What you're doing is, this is what you're doing. Cookies on the bottom shelf. Cookies on the bottom shelf. You're either shining a light on Jesus, or you're going to go shine a light on something else. Because when the phone rings, that's what you answered. My challenge to you, prioritize corporate worship. Don't miss one Sunday of this series. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They were challenged by the Babylonian culture. You come and worship this God. Mm -mm. I'm not going to worship that. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to worship Yahweh. That's my God. Worship him. Mm -mm. Worship him or we're going to put you in the fire. I'll go in the fire. We'll go in the fire. This is why for the first few hundred years of our existence, we were slaughtered because we would not bow down to Rome. We would not bow down to the emperor. I only worship Jesus. All right. Welcome to the Colosseum. The psalmist starts, he says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That means everything. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I sing praises to my God while I have my being. Second challenge. Repent from your false idols. Evaluate. Do you have mixed messages? Are your kids picking up on some mixed messages? Are your coworkers and neighbors picking up on some mixed messages? I know he says this, but man, he loves to sing about that. I know he says he follows Jesus, but man. Evaluate, look at your life. Do you need to have an honest moment, parents, with your kids? Do you need to confess before you, you know what? I've made some bad parenting choices. I've sent some mixed messages to you. I have put a false God before you. I have led a life that makes it look like that will save and that will deliver and that will help and that is hope. And I am sorry, that's wrong. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Only Jesus saves. Is there a tension? Yeah. Is there a parenting tension? Yeah. I'm a part of it. I get it. I got teenage boys. I know what culture is saying. I know the temptations. We can work together. But is there time for a conversation? If you don't know what your idols are, ask your spouse. They know. They know. Ask your kids. They know. What's most important to me? Ask them. They'll tell you. Repent. Repent. Before we come to the table in a little bit, God, I'm sorry. I have worshiped this. I've shown a light upon this. I've made this a focus. It doesn't save. Beautiful pictures in the book of Acts as followers of Jesus are laying down the scrolls and, and the witchcraft and the idolatry and the pornography and all these false gods and are burning them. Entire economies turned upside down within the great cities of Rome and the great cities of the empire because Christians said, we're not going to bow to that anymore. And the third challenge. Read Psalm 146 every day this week out loud and let that get inside of you. Out loud, do it out. Do I have to do it out loud? Because I don't want people to think I'm a Jesus freak. I think you'd be okay if people thought you're a Jesus freak. I've heard you sing country songs. You can read Psalm 146 out loud. Yeah, out loud. 
Because that's what praise is. Praise is the fruit that comes from the lips. Praise. Read it out loud. If you're married, get together with your spouse. Do it in the morning. Or do it. Let's read it together. If you have kids, let's all gather. Let's all read Psalm 146 together. Every day. Getting in the habit of saturating your space with God praise. You could do this. You can do this. And when you do that, look at the beautiful things that start to happen. We shine a light on God's faithfulness. He is our help. He is hope. We call others to faithfulness. And we confront the false idols and the mixed messages of our culture. Let's give it a try. Let's stand together. We're going to read Psalm 146 again. Read with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today, and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can. Again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.